Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Well, hello there. Welcome to the Tesh Talks podcast, and on today's episode, on this lovely Wednesday, I'm recording this two weeks before, so hey, it could be lovely, it might not be, we're talking to Faith Locken. Now, Faith is different to the people on the Tesh Talks podcast. Now, my whole point of this podcast is to, to interview and speak to and meet relatable, everyday people just like you and me. Now, a lot of the guests, they are like that, but they have tens of properties or many more properties than a lot of people listening. So the people, that's Yarl, that's you, have spoken and Tej has delivered. Faith is different to the the other guests we've had on the show. She's a lot earlier in her property journey and in her experience. However, through her day job working in commercial property in London, in some of the, some of the most expensive spots of London, she has a lot of value to offer. So we talk about her journey, the mistakes she's made, the two rent to rent she had and giving them back and how actually her real passion and drive is to be in property development. And, you know, how do you get there from having one buy to let? We also talk about her work on diversity and inclusion in the property sector. And we just had a really good chat about quite a few different things and uh, some useful tips and hacks and tools for you in your business. So without further ado, here is me and Faith talking about property and other stuff. Please leave a review. Thanks. Faith, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you for having me, Tej. Thank you for coming on. I understand you're an avid listener of Tej Talks, am I right? I am, I am. I've got a, uh, my commute into work is about 20 minutes. Um, and so 20 minutes there, 20 minutes, depends how long each episode is, but it, it fits quite nicely in my little commute time. Amazing. Well, I'm glad I make the commute easier for you because, um, yeah, when I used to commute, oh God, n- not much would make it better. So um, that's that's a big accolade for me. So yeah, no, it's good stuff. For people who don't know you, um, what were you doing before property? Uh, what was I doing before property? Um, I guess I was in school um, <laughs> and in university. I studied Spanish and Mandarin um, at university. Yeah, so I'm fluent in Spanish and I used to be really fluent in Mandarin. Now I can just about get by. Um, but my interest in property kind of started pretty much like everybody's with like Homes Under the Hammer back when I was like 15. Um, and at the time, I used to watch these investors and developers you know buy property do it up and then sell it on or make a profit and I just always thought you know I'm never going to have that kind of money it was always a pipe dream um but I always had within me and still do this this drive and 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 need to provide homes and shelter and housing for people I think it's to do with like the background that I come from um to, to put it into context, I was um, a refugee. I fled. Me and my family came here when I was very young from Uganda, which was at the time pretty much a war zone. Um, and we had there were times when we didn't have a stable home or shelter. And I think that's kind of stuck with me. Um, and my kind of 
what I want to be able to do in the near future is to go back and to, to build back in my hometown in Uganda and um, provide, you know, housing, schooling, um, sh- you know, build orphanages and that kind of stuff. So it's just always been within me, I guess. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I went to university. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something that would allow me to travel and communicate with others. And I think studying languages kind of fit that bill. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much what I was doing before anything property related. Wow. So, you know, that's that's such a... I mean, it's, it's quite powerful, isn't it, to have a why that is actually driven by what you have experienced in a terrible situation, but yet it's created such a positive desire in you to provide, you know, what you didn't have. And I think, you know, for people listening, when we think of our whys, if it is something superficial, I don't think it's going to last a long time. I don't think it's going to drive you. If it's something as deep as what Faith just said or what, you know, anything else we might think of that's more uh personal is not not superficial i think it's going to create a bigger drive in people so if you're if you're sitting there doing your goals and you're writing your whys and it is a lamborghini that's great but that shouldn't be your why that should be a byproduct of the why um so you went to university you've always had this desire you studied two of like the world's most spoken languages so there's obviously also a desire to travel communicate um, and build networks so then when you came out of university what what did you do did you get a job did you go straight into property or yeah I so it was in my first in my second year was it the second year no my first year of university uh, it was towards the end of the first semester and I was meant to be studying for my January exams um but I was on Savills' auction website because I wanted to see how much a lot had gone for down the road where I was. Where I was. I was studying in Nottingham, by the way. Um, and my friend just looked at me and said, he was like, hey, what, if you love property so much, why don't you just go into it? Because I think he was sick and tired of hearing me talk about it. And like a light bulb went off in my head and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, perfect. So I literally Googled careers in property. And the first thing that came up was commercial surveying. Um, and I thought, okay, what's that? So I looked into it, and the only company at the time that I knew property related was Savile. So I went on their website. I saw that they had a summer internship coming up the following year, um, and I thought I need to get on that. Um, I didn't have any prior property experience, but I knew, you know, you have to have experience to get work experience. <laughs> so I thought, right, that's it. I pushed my books aside. Um, I wrote a quick covering letter, um, and did my CV and sent it to all the local property agents. Um, I think I sent about 30 emails out and only one company came back to me. It was a small independent estate agent, um, St. Property Services in Nottingham, Beeston. Um, and I literally, I was like, I will work for free. I just want experience. And so I managed to, the, the following month, start with them. And I rearranged my whole university schedule so that I would have Tuesdays off. Um, and I, though it was on a Tuesday morning, I'd, you know, rock up to the agency um, and I worked as their kind of sales assistant um, in their residential department um, for a whole year. And that and then some other internships that I secured were able to get me onto the Savills summer internship. And I worked in their commercial development department for two months, uh, which was amazing experience in itself. And then I went off on my year abroad. So I did six months in Spain, six months in China. And in going to China, I knew in my head, I was like, 
if I want to be employed, because that was back in the day when I, I really wanted to be employed, um, not so much anymore, but we'll get to that. Um, I thought it would look really good if I can get secure an internship in China, which I managed to do. So I worked at an architectural firm um, for two months when I was living in Shanghai. That was hands down the best experience of my whole life. Um, I was living with interns and um, I'd managed to secure um, like a scholarship. So they, you know, my accommodation was paid for. Every, and I, it was just I was like living my best life in in China. Um, and then in coming back, I did kind of the regular sort of graduate recruitment applications. And I applied to like the big four property firms. So JLL, CBRE, Savills, Cushman and Wakefield, you know, Knight Frank, all of them. Um, and yeah cut a long story short I'm now at JLL I got onto the JLL graduate scheme um I kind of clawed my way in actually (laughs) off the back of a conversation with the then UK CEO because I'd been advised that they'd filled up their graduate quota but um I I saw the UK CEO in in the breakout area during my summer internship there and um I basically said look I want a job like what can I do to get a job um and it was the following week HR contacted me and said he'd contacted them personally and they made a role for me so that's kind of how I ended up at JLL um on their commercial graduate scheme I did a part-time so I was it was one of the it was it was weird because I literally started September 2015 and I started as a graduate like I'd pretty much in my mind made it and according to my mum like my mum was so happy because all she ever wanted in bringing us all over here she's a single mother raised you know I'm, I'm the last of 11 basically anyway so it raised us all up and you know me getting my job and I'm the youngest so to her she was like she's now done like she, her job is done I'm now working like you know in the city Um, I started and within a month I was like I don't want to be here I knew with I think deep inside my soul I always knew that I'm just not made I'm not cut out to work for anyone but myself and it was great that I was working in property, but I was just making other people money. I was essentially advising and consulting, but I want to be the one doing, you know, I want to be the client, you know, not the agent. Um, and so that was when I decided, no, I need to start looking at avenues to to get myself out and to be essentially investing in property and do what I want to do. Um, and so I, you know, literally I think I came what did I come across I think I came across a pin meeting or something um I did like a web a random webinar um and that kind of sparked my interest and and began to change my mindset like even at the time I didn't have any money um I didn't really know what I wanted to do but the fact that I could see other people doing it I thought if they can do it I can definitely do it. So I was obviously working full time, studying part time. So I did I have a master's in real estate, finance and investment. Um, so that was a struggle. I'd get home from work at about 7 p.m. I'd have to do lectures for about two, three hours. And then the last kind of two hours that I had left in me before I went to sleep, be trying to educate myself from investing in property. Um, so it was a hard slog. I'm not going to lie, but just being determined, I guess got me through it and um eventually kind of got me to where I am now I mean there's a lot more in there but mm. I feel like I'm now talking so much <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's interesting that you know you said the CEO and spoke to HR and made a role for you like so I work in recruitment or I kind of do I used to and and something like that for a company of that size 
is is pretty spectacular. So, you know, whatever you said to the CEO in that conversation, like, must have been awesome for them to do that firstly. And then, you know, what you said about not wanting to work for anyone else, like, when I was working, I always used to think, I'm making pennies and they're making pounds. But I'm doing all the work and the MD is just schmoozing clients and getting free wine and cheese on his company credit card. I want free wine and cheese. Like, what the hell? <laughs> you so like your cheese. I, I do. Listen, that's probably where it started was the jealousy there. And then um, <laughs> it's it's an interesting one because once you have that in your head, which, look, not everyone does. Like, of course not. Like, but and not everyone needs it. But once you have it in your head, it's just like that. You can't shake it. You cannot. It's like that rash. It doesn't go away. And you're like, it doesn't. how do I get rid of this? And then you work for yourself and you're like, this is bloody difficult yeah (laughs) what have I done um and then so it's just interesting to hear you've had that at such a young age because I think you know everyone's different but a lot of the stories I hear are kind of like quite a few years in prop in 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 a corporate job and then going into property yeah um so it's I guess it's quite nice to hear that you had it so early on right so are you still working for JLL Yes, I am. So I am. when you, you know, took the education like a bit more seriously, you went to some networking events. How did you then transition from, you know, working for JLL, not having a, a side hustle or business mm-hmm. to then being a property investor? Um, so I think, I think first, firstly, I want to say, um, probably give some context as to people might be listening and thinking, well, why is she still working? Um, I'm someone that, I, if I choose to do something, I stick with it and I see it through. And when I joined the graduate scheme, uh, JLL were paying for my master's. So for me, I was like, this is great. I can learn on JLL's dime and be paid for it at the same time. So I was like, I'm going to see this through. And I'm glad that I did because I've learned so much from being within the company. I've had various roles, investment, development, agency you know you name it I've had it I've had exposure to huge huge corporate clients global investors all of that kind of stuff and I've kind of learned all the things that I've learned at JLL is what's going to then I be my USP I believe and being able to go out there because I think from going to all the networking meetings that I did go to I found that you know, there weren't many commercial surveyors in the room. There weren't many actual, you know, people working in the property industry or have like a property related, you know, degree or, you know, that kind of further or higher education. Not to say, not to sound snobby or anything, but I thought, you know, that that could be my USP and set me apart from, you know, the rest of the people who are trying to get into the game. Um, so that's why I stuck it out. Um, I'm now I've now qualified, so I'm a chartered surveyor. I'm a registered valuer. Um, <laughs> I work in our city investment team, so my my job is buying and selling development sites in the city and South Bank area, which I absolutely love. So at the moment, we're selling Blackfriars Crown Court. Whoa! Um, How much is that yeah. going for? Well, I we're, we're just about to go under offers. So I can't say anything, but it was we were asking forty five million. <gasps> Oh my god! Yeah, that is. I mean, it's a nice building and all, but well, it is literally in the. I can't believe you even know it. 
lot of people know the Crown Court. I, I do, I'm not a criminal. Nothing wrong with, <laughs> but I, I have not been there. And I have been on the front page of the Daily Mail outside, but I have not. So no one will find that. But for, but for anyone in the north, that is like slap bang, like central sort of London, right? Yeah. So it's in it's in the heart of the South Bank area, which is pretty much becoming the go to location for a lot of um, alternative um, sort of businesses like startups and things like that. So there's there's quite a big office market there at the moment. Um, and investors are picking up on that and are, and are buying into the area. Um, and what we're seeing at the moment, sorry, I'm going all commercial now. Um, what we're seeing at the moment, because of the uncertainty in the market in terms of Brexit and all that kind of stuff, people or, you know, gl- investors are shying away from your sort of what we call vanilla investments. So buying, an off, you know, a large office building in the city, which would, you know, generate a, a long income for the next, you know, 20, 30 years. That is kind of normally bread and butter stuff for anybody that's after core plus income. But now, because of the uncertainty, everybody's looking into development. So me and my two superiors at work, like we are literally we've got work coming out of our ears. We're so busy advising people. Everyone's like, okay, how can I, you know, add value to my current existing portfolio? You know, how what's the development potential here? So, for example, with Blackfriars Crown Court, in order to take that to market, we had to come up with a potential development scheme. So we, you know, I'm constantly liaising with local authorities, architects, you know, designers, putting together brochures. So all of that aspect, and I, I really do enjoy doing that. Um, but it's going to come to a point where I want to be on the other side buying the site. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I think London property investment i think most people no actually everyone on this show has been a property investor who does not buy in london some have bought near me in like zone four near heathrow but no one's ever bought in central london so it's quite interesting to to hear the prices and what's happening in the kind of market in central london because you know some of these like you said 45 mil some of these the costs of these places are just i mean a one bed flat in like Chelsea is just stupid it's gorgeous but it's stupid um so you know that's kind of that's what you're doing now in your day job so you have the one by to let in Nottingham which I know before you know we were I think this was before the podcast anyway someone you know someone said to you in order to get into property development and do bigger things you need to be investable you need to have a buy, you know a house so that the lenders are like tick thank you next so you have that buy to let in Nottingham. Now, for people listening, that was that was your first house. What what made you say what made you pick Nottingham? And could you talk us through like the figures on that deal, please? Yep, hundred percent. So I picked so well when I first got told, you know, I'd sat down. So I, I paid and I invested in a mentor. Um who sat down with me to talk me through my options at the time I was so dead set on I was like rent to rent I want to do rent to rent because I was you know in my mind I was chasing cash flow um and you know you go to these kind of you you hear from people who are doing rent to rent and you hear all these large numbers and you think oh my god that's what I want to do um but when I sat down with him I'm so glad that he said this to me he said he said Faith what is your actual end goal like what what do you want to do in the long term and I was even shy when I was saying it because I was like I couldn't even believe or think that I would be doing it but I said I want to be a developer I've always wanted to be a developer and he said well 
if you want to be a developer, let's look at what what you need to do to get you there. And at the moment, rent. He basically said, you know, you can chase rent to rent, and I'm sure you'll be successful and you'll be fine. But you'll be nowhere near closer to your end goal. Um, so he said, you need, you know, why don't you consider buying somewhere? And I said, well, I don't have the money to buy. And he said, and who do you know that has the money to buy? <laughs> you know, so it, he really started changing my mindset in that sense. So originally I was looking at sort of fringe London locations. So you're kind of zone five, zone six, anywhere sort of relatively affordable. Um, but even that was too expensive. And then he said, well, what market do you know? And I said, well, I thought to myself, Faith, you were, you know, worked on this, as an estate agent for a year in Nottingham. You lived in Nottingham. You were a student there. Like, you know that market inside out. Um, and that's when I, I decided upon Nottingham um, and the area in which I invest in. So if anyone that knows Nottingham has gone to Nottingham University, because we don't go to Trent. <laughs> um, so a bit of bit of university rivalry there. Um, so for University of Nottingham students, the kind of popular student area to live in is called Lenton. But in my opinion, Lenton is definitely overpriced now. Um, but there's a literally a street over from Lenton. You go into Radford, which is still very much, in my opinion, undervalued. Um, and the properties there. So to give you a comparison, uh, a two bed. Well, there, there aren't many two beds in Lenton because they're all sort of HMOs. But a two bed in Lenton would be somewhere in the region of 120,000. But a two bed in Radford is about, or when, when I was buying anyway, was about the 70 grand mark. Um, yeah, that's, that's the difference. And it's literally a stone's throw away from each other. Um, it just goes to show location, location, location. Um, so, so I started looking and I chose Radford. Um, and that was the area that I'd lived in when I was a student as well, because the rents were cheaper. Um, so I actually ended up looking in in and around the street that I lived in. Um, the property that I found. So I had at the time, because obviously I wasn't going up to do viewing. So I had a friend who was still studying at Nottingham. So I employed him as my viewing agent. Um, this is this is where outsourcing comes in. Um, so I employed him as my viewing agent. I went up to Nottingham. I had I spent you know half a day with him, basically teaching him what to look for in you know when viewing a property. Um, I got him to when he went around the properties, he would take pictures um, of the property and then send them to me on WhatsApp, and that would allow me to sort of appraise the deal. And it, it was it was always the case that I I'm a believer. This is going to sound so bad, but like. I always believed that no matter how bad the property was, there would always be a solution for it. But agents would would not consider selling to you unless you viewed the property and someone has viewed on your behalf. So I was literally paying him to pay lip service to the agent <laughs> because by but in me sending him, I'd already done you know analyzed the deal and I knew that the, that I knew what price I would need to offer for the deal to work. Um, so he just went in there, did what he needed to do. And then, you know, within an hour, I'd be sending, I would have already drafted the email, the offer to the agent and I'd send it through. Um, so he was viewing, you know, four or five properties for me each week. Um, but I kept getting bought out by cash buyers um, <laughs> because the properties there are so cheap and people just have money like that lying around. Yeah. So mm-hmm. It got to the point that I... I this is probably one of the mistakes that I that's definitely one of the mistakes that I made um that I kind of regret but I don't like to have regrets um so when I did eventually find this two bed um so the property I have is two bed end terrace um 
property and it was on the market I think for 70 and all the other deals that I'd been offering on I'd been offering quite significantly below the market value um but this one I just offered at asking in fact I offered one grand over asking I offered <laughs> 71 so I was like I will not be um bought out by these like you know other people um and I offered and sure enough my offer got accepted <laughs> you know I wasn't to be honest because I was like damn it I offered but then you know you start thinking well if I'd offered maybe 10 grand less would they have taken um but you just you can't you just can't think like that really um and so yeah so I got the offer accepted at which point I was like oh gosh now I've actually got to find the money to buy this place (laughs) (laughs) at the time I knew it was was a process where it's one of those chicken egg things if you don't start offering you won't get your offer accepted and therefore you won't need to line up money to buy it. it, Like if you, if you wait to try and have all the money ready, you're going to miss all these deals going past. Um, so I, yeah, so I'd offered, I had some money in savings, but not enough for the deposit. Um, so my, I had actually had to ask my brother to help me out. So he was the one that provided proof of funds. Um, you know, offer was accepted. We then moved forward with the purchase, and then it act- as as luck would have it, the, the actual purchase took so long that by the time it came to actually buying it, I already had the money myself. <laughs> what? <laughs> how how long did it take? It took about three months because basically, oh god, it was like they, they say your first is your hardest. Seriously, like so everything that could have gone wrong, I felt like went wrong. So I'd obviously made the offer. I had my um, a friend of mine. This is also another great thing about working in a property firm. I had a mate who's a building surveyor that went up there, and he lives in Nottingham. He's from Nottingham originally, so he'd gone home for the weekend. And I called him. I was like, Darren, do you mind just popping around to this property and just you know giving me your opinion quickly? And he managed to do that. So I saved on on building survey fees. <laughs> um, yeah, and so yeah, so he went around. And he said, Yep, yeah, looks sound, looks okay. Um, you know, there might be issues like damp or whatever, but there's not, I don't think there's anything that, you know, too worrying. So I said, okay, fine. Then the bank's valuer went in um, and, you know, being a valuer myself, I knew to expect, <laughs> I kind of knew what to expect. They obviously go in with like, because they're advising for the bank, they have to, you know, obviously be conservative and also, you know, basically state anything and everything that's wrong with the property. So they obviously detected damp, which I'd kind of been told was there. But then I actually managed to use that as a bargaining tool. So I got a quote for the damp um, proof course. And then I said to the seller's um, agent, um, I said to the agent, you know, I can either um, the, the seller can either pay for the damp proof course in or they can take it off of the purchase price. And in the end, he took it off the purchase price. So I was like, cool, you know, secured it, you know, a little bit of a discount. Um, and then then everything was going forward it was fine but then when it came to oh so what happened was so I had a, I had a really good solicitor he basically said to me you know if we're gonna because I was then gonna pay for the damp proof course um he said that something to do with needing security so the seller had to transfer um the amount for the damp proof course into his solicitor's accounts just so then I could then go off and do the work and then he would get the money back it was just it was just extra security um but in 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 him trying to do that apparently his his account was hacked or something so 
yeah, he was, I guess, a, a Chinese investor or something. He didn't live in the country. Um, so then he had to sort that out. That took a few weeks to get, you know, his accounts back up and running because they'd all been frozen. Um, and then once that had happened, I went in to do the damp proof course. And that, that takes quite a while to, you know, once it's done, you need to leave it at least four weeks before the, the valuer then goes back in to, to reassess the property. So just all these little things that were happening that meant that, you know, by the time it actually came to it. So I'd offered on the property, I think, in November, but we didn't actually exchange until June the following year. What? That's that's like seven, eight months. Yeah. And because we had Christmas in between and agents go on holiday and it was, yeah, it was, it was a long, it was a long slog, but I, yeah, I kept, I kept, it was funny because I, I have a YouTube channel, the property hustle, which I started because I wanted to document my journey. Um, and I also love YouTube and media and presenting all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, it was like every time I'd post, I'd be like, so yeah, there's not meant much more updates other than, you know, this has happened. Is it like to the viewers that I, you know, it must have looked, just looked like the property from hell. Um, but when I did finally um, exchange and complete, it was, yeah, of like the best possible, like, I just, yeah, I was so happy. I was so happy to be done with it, actually. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, it's good you mention that because property courses and social media will show us that offer gets accepted. I've got the keys. Oh, refurb tenant in in like a day, yeah. and like it it often takes months, not weeks. Um, and even on like you know a flipping simple vanilla, boring literally. you know buy oh to let, God. and it's like, but this is literally the dullest thing I could have bought. Yet everything's going wrong. So. You know, for people, and that's why a lot of people say, and you'll hear people say, I, I stopped doing, you know, vanilla buy to lets and did uh, commercial conversions or semi commercial or HMO because I put the same, the same amount, amount of work in. Work. Yeah. And, and you get less for it. So for people listening, you know, I'm not um, going against buy to lets. I love them. Uh, my portfolio <laughs> is, is currently going to be loads of them, but just be prepared, uh, you know, that Faith had to wait, you know, from November to June to get the property and then obviously if there was a refurb if there you know you're gonna have time before you start to get rent in if you're trying to quit your job if you're trying to do this quickly conveyancing in the uk and house buying is slow so just be prepared for things to last that long and then going back to what you said before faith about the how do you balance deals and money you need that pipeline because your deal took you know six months plus it could have fallen out of bed in the seventh month like because you didn't exchange so you'd given him a free damp proof course so yeah <laughs> he could have been like yeah cheers i'll, I'll take the I'll yeah take but the that's DPC. why my solicitor said he needed to put money in a separate account because then if he backed out then at least i got my money back okay good so there's another learning point have a good solicitor because yep. you know i don't know how many would have thought about that or advised that so it's it's good you had that in your team but again for everyone listening you know these are all little little points to be aware of in in something like this right so you had that buy to let and mm. then i didn't you... I, I just realized i didn't actually give you the the high level numbers um so i bought it for 69500 um 25% deposit um so 75% ltv i spent a total of 3000 pounds um, getting it ready to, to to be let so that was 
half of that was the damp proof course and then the other half was just um refurb so yeah um and then I had it let out literally it took a five days to get it refurbished had a cracking team um and then a day to get let out because I'd kind of <laughs> I'd I was basically marketing it whilst it was being refurbished um and I used open rent for that and yeah just yeah I was actually surprised at how quickly I turned it around it was it even shocked me because obviously it had taken so many months to, to buy and then within literally the space of two weeks I had it I had a tenant in so wow I mean that yeah. is quick and that also shows the strong demand of the area which you researched and knew well so you know for people investing if you've then bought a house in an area and yes look, the market's different there's so many factors but generally speaking if it if it lets that quickly and it, it, you know to a good tenant etc that probably tells you something about the area so maybe one to focus on opposed to other areas which may take a couple of weeks now you had buy to let you had it and then I know when we spoke on Facebook, you mentioned something about a few rent to rents that you're then also giving back. Yeah. So I, after the hell that was buying that property in Nottingham, I knew that the next, anything more that I did with regards to property would, would need to be in London. I wanted to be within an, you know, a 45 minute drive to whatever property it was. Um, but, Interestingly enough, so I had read up about um, rent to rents, and I guess you know you asked me before the podcast to think about some of the mistakes that I made in property. And um, I think what what show did I say? I think that Tom Heaney said this about not you know not trusting everyone and 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 believing that because there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in this game. Um, and I remember I had gone to a networking meeting and I bumped you know met this guy who was you know really impressed with my enthusiasm and I'd been you know I'd read up about rent to rents and I'd you know gone on a course and everything but at the point at that time I didn't necessarily have the money to get one to get you know started and he said he did so I went ahead with you know we were going to do a joint venture partnership I, I believe that we would do that um I went ahead and you know sourced us our kind of you know sourced a bunch of rent to rent deals actually that in my opinion all stacked up um, but every time it came to kind of putting his money where his mouth was, he would always find some kind of issue or some kind of, you know, oh, you know, it's not enough rooms or, oh, you know, this isn't, you know, he'd always find some kind of excuse to the point that this agent that I'd built up this relationship with stopped, you know, trusting me and stopped taking my calls. Um, and then one day the guy that I'd been believing was going to be my joint venture partner just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. And I remember feeling very hard done by. Um, but at the same time, if I hadn't had the belief that he was going to fund these deals, I wouldn't have gone out researching, you know, finding the deals, speaking to agents, getting all the necessary contracts in place. I wouldn't have done all of that. Um, but yeah, so that happened. Um, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that happened. Um, and then a few months later, through a conversation that my mum was having with a friend of hers, a friend, and a friend of hers was in a situation where she was pregnant and living with her partner, but she had her flat basically sitting empty. And she had tried, I guess, to, you know, rent it out at Airbnb, but obviously being heavily pregnant, that's not something that um, <laughs> you don't want an intensive, uh, something that's going to be management intensive. So she was asking my mum if my mum knew anybody that wanted to let a property um let the property so I said well 
you know, let me go have a look at it. If it's doable, I, I would, I said to her, I, I'll guarantee you the rent, um, you know, the, the line that everyone gives <laughs> yep. um, and I'll get a tenant in there. Um, and when I went to view the property, it was, it was only actually a one bed flat. Um, and all of the kind of books that you read or, you know, these big, you know, property educators always say, oh no, you know, rent to rent only really works when you've got three or three plus bedrooms, blah, blah, blah. But I looked at the area and I looked at what you could rent it for. And I spoke to, I think what I learned out of this, this particular scenario was that I actually had a sit down conversation with the lady to find out what her situation was, because it turned out that she didn't have a mortgage on the property because she paid off her mortgage on the flat. So she was, and she didn't have it was kind of a masonette, so there was no kind of service charge or any kind of additional fees or whatever. And for her, she just wanted the property off of her hands. So she was willing and happy with, you know, I asked her what what rent she would be comfortable with, of which she gave me a figure. I can't remember what it, what it was now, but the figure that she did give was considerably lower than what the, re- what the room would rent for. So I thought, yeah, it might not be a three plus bed property, but I'd still be cash flowing £300 off of it for pretty much you know, no work done and no money put in at all. So I said to her, give me a month to find a tenant, um, you know, and, you know, we'll take it from there. And then that's kind of how I picked up my first rent to rent. Um, and then she then referred me to a friend of hers. Um, and I did the same there. Um, but she, she only wanted it for a year because obviously she's now had the baby and she's now moved back in. Um, so I handed that property back over and I, I, I actually chose to break the other contract, um, um, I'd already made my money back within the six month period. I handed that property back because now my focus is getting into development. And I think it got to the point that I just, I wasn't able to manage my time accordingly to be able to really focus on pushing the development stuff forward. Um, so that's, yeah, I ended up handing those two properties back, but it's, I'm, I think this is why I'm such a big believer in getting, you know, an expertise and, and knowledge in various different strategies, because, you know, if that opportunity had come and I hadn't done, you know, the, the, the read up or the, you know, gotten the education that I needed on the rent to rent, I would have missed that opportunity. So I think learning about various strategies, even if you don't implement them, to then be able to kind of see an opportunity and think, oh, actually, I could use rent to rent to solve that person's problem, or I could use this to solve that person's problem is 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 very key in the kind of property investing game. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. You know, I always say to people have don't have a, a strategy per se, have a business strategy, but in property have a toolkit, you know, so mm. literally like a utility belt, it sounds so old school, but like have, <laughs> have like the different to have lease options on it have vendor finance have delayed completion have rent to rent and when you go to a viewing you know i know with agents it's kind of hard to do anything but just buy a house because they don't understand anything but you know black and white yeah um but you know especially with vendors to kind of once you understand their situation in your head because you have this toolkit you're thinking right i can't do this can't do that one oh i could do this and i could do that yeah. so let me offer them to, you know to the vendor to the agent and say which of these works because it's very easy especially if you come off a course to be like right buy to let's only and then you have a, a rent to rent that would bring you in a thousand pounds a month from your auntie or whatever and you're like oh sorry not my strategy i don't want <laughs> cash flow from that no but really you should be like hmm 
you know, potentially have I got time? Does this fit in with my overall plan? Does it match my why? And in your yeah. case, you know, it's a strong why and your your aim is development. So you did the rent to rents, you obviously learned a lot from them. And your point about the one bed, again, it's like, we're generally told, of course, for, you know, a rent to rent or a rent to HMO, to be specific, it has to be a HMO, not a one bed. So it's, it's interesting you chose, you know, like a standard I guess it was a buy to let or, or a kind of single let instead of an essay or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I guess those situations, they just happen, right? Because you You're stood up and said... everybody what you do. Exactly. I, because the amount of... So I started my YouTube channel and I have a Facebook page that I post three times a week, just like general property related stuff whether it's stuff that I'm doing stuff that other people are doing um and I obviously have an interest in commercial development and commercial you know property in general so I post some stuff on there as well and from doing that I've gotten over the years so many people coming to me asking me for advice or help or even you know they have a property that they've kind of become accidental landlords or whatever and they kind of want to know like what the hell can I do with it kind of thing um and you know I wouldn't be getting these people you know these references if I hadn't been sort of putting myself out there and sometimes it can feel like I don't know if you I, I, I don't know if you get the same thing but sometimes it feels like you're putting all this content out there and maybe not getting that many comments or that many you know dms but people are watching and people are listening and you said you seem to forget I always seem to forget that until someone like contacts me like I had a friend um who I'm not sure if I can call her a friend but I went to school with her and the last time we spoke was when I was 18 I'm 26 now I'm going to be 27 so that's almost sort of eight nine years ago she contacted me the other day and was like I'm looking to buy my place with my partner and I you know I just wanted the opinion of someone that I know that knows property you know they they just want that extra security and that assurance and I was able to point her in the right direction for what she wanted but it's it's nice to be able to do that um and if I hadn't been putting myself out there as silly as it might seem um and to anyone that's listening I feel like if you can just start posting um but obviously make sure it's things that you are passionate about and things that are genuine to you as a person rather than just posting because everyone's posting and everyone's building their personal brand these days um yeah I just yeah <laughs> yeah no no you're 100% and I think you know I talk about it a lot like when I when I do public speaking is that your brand has to be you has to be authentic has to be personal has to be consistent has to be visible so you know as much as there's a pressure to build a personal brand you know from businesses from people like Gary Vee showing how important it is and saying how important it is the thing to remember is there's no point building one or posting stuff if it, you know, like you just said, Faith, is just for the sake of it. Because one, I don't know how we can do that because we have so much content in property we can talk about, right? Mm. Um, and secondly, it just isn't you and it's not going to represent you in the best light. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily easy to avoid that because you're thinking, oh, I want investors, I need money, I'm about to run out. But as you said, you know, people are watching, people are waiting, you know, I've had same thing, you know, friends from high school who, you know, we didn't really speak in high school, we might have lived close, we might have, you know, played football together or something, but we had friends kind of contact me and say, hey, um, I've got this much money, what can I do with it, what can we do with it, you know, how, you know, what can you do with it, and I'm like, oh, hi, 
Um, so, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's often people who you don't know what they're doing with their lives or mm. what they're working as, but they've got money or they've got something and you always have some kind of value to add. So, yeah. you know, going off, you know, what we've done so far, which is you've got the buy to let and then you had the rent to rent, which you're handing back, which was like a, it was like a training, I guess, those rent to rents, getting paid to train. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. So your aim is development. Now, development can range from anywhere from a, you know, a single house that, you know, all in is like 150 grand in the middle of Wales, or it can be a 111 million pound tower in central London. That's probably too cheap. Um, like how, and for people listening who are in your position or who are, you know, further or behind in their kind of property investment journey, how are you now going to go from where you are to development? And then, yeah, so talk, talk me through that first. And then I guess also what kind of developments you want to do and where. Okay. Um, in terms of going from where I am, so I qualified last November um, and I kind of have given myself a date in which I want to no longer be working for anyone but myself. And that date is April 2021. Okay. <laughs> April, because I want to collect my bonus. And back. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep, end of the tax year. I like that. Good. It's just being candid. Um, <laughs> but, God, I hope no one <laughs> They're all thinking it. Listen, they're all thinking it. They're just not going to do it. You're going to do it. Don't worry. Um, so that is kind of my thought process. And to be honest... Um, so I started at JLL, there's about 20 of us graduates, roughly 20 of us graduates who were taken on in September 2015. And of that group, that intake, I think there's a handful of us left. Everyone has since gone on to pastures new. Um, so, and I think it might be to do with the whole millennial site like thing, but nobody, people, I don't, I feel like people don't stay in firms as long as long because, you know, in my firm at the moment, there are some people who've been there for 20, 30 years plus, and that's like the only job they've known. But I think the younger generation, we're, we're kind of, you know, always looking to be pushed and, and stretched. So I, in a way, I'm almost nervous, but I feel like it, I've, I'm seeing all my peers do it. And there's, I've got a friend of mine, Justin She, who's gone off to work on his passion project, which is, you know, developing, um, he, he owns a company called The Cohab, and his idea or his um, sort of uh, passion is to bring together, um, you know, older generations who are needing to rent and the younger generation. So offering a reduced market rent to the younger generation in return for them, um, basically offering their time to some of the older um, people within the complex. I've heard so, of this, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he's, he's doing awesome things. So, and he's, you know you know started at JLL with me and he's gone off to do what anyway I digress so I've given myself basically two years or just under two years to get out um I I'm in a fortune position where I I am a development agent so I kind of work in the development sphere on a day-to-day basis so I'm constantly appraising development deals um you know land sites all that kind of stuff so I've got a lot of the training and knowledge there um, I am networking like crazy. I'm speaking to, I had a sit down with a Tuksha actually. So a Tuksha Simple Crowdfunding. Um, she was on my YouTube channel a couple of months back. Um, and I got some advice from her. Just wanted, I just wanted to understand this, the crowdfunding space a bit more. I actually did my 
um, master's dissertation on crowdfunding um, because I was just so fascinated about it. Um, so I'm looking at that. I'm trying to understand development finance. I'm also trying to figure out where I would sit because I do. My passion is residential, but I have all this commercial knowledge that I also want to deploy. So I don't know if I should go for mixed use development, if I should start small or try and, you know, utilize all the connections and contacts that I've made in um, the commercial world to basically start a fully commercial development company. Um, I, you know, floated the idea with a tuxture about crowdfunding because at the moment a lot of the crowdfunding spaces that I've researched, it's all kind of residential developments or commercial to residential developments. But I'm like, well, actually, there is a lot, there's there's need for commercial development. There's not enough commercial development, particularly for asset classes like industrial, which are, which are huge right now, especially with, um, you know, things like, you know, people like Amazon who are trying to get things delivered to to customers in like within an hour. They need, you know, warehouses, they need industrial sort of spec to be built. Um, so I'm kind of going through that iterative process at the moment, just networking, get myself out there, getting people knowing that this is what I want to do. So if people are listening to this and they want to partner with me, I am happy to offer you my expertise. I can, I'll happily appraise any development that you want. I will, you know, I will, you know, I will literally, you know, do whatever just to be able to, to, to speak to and understand from people who are actually developing right now. Cause I think that's, that's my next step actually learning from and shadowing people who are physically doing it themselves because it's one thing sitting behind my computer and working with clients but until I can actually get more hands-on experience I'm not sure I'm going to feel very comfortable just completely leaving my job and going straight into it but on the other hand I think well maybe that's what I need maybe that's the kick up the bum I need to then be like yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah I think you know it's it's a tough one because it, it will give you a kick up the bum but I think you have to balance it with, okay, if I leave, I have no income. I'm potentially not mortgageable if, if I sort of wanted to get a mortgage in the meantime. Yeah. I also am doing development, which can take year, years. Yeah. Where's my money coming from in that time? So, mm. and, and that kind of, it's interesting hearing this because you're at a very, very different stage from a lot of the guests on the show. And this is why I want to get you on because a lot of people listening are in this stage where, They've done a bit, they've got a bit, and maybe they're thinking of what's the next kind of stage for me. So I think it's good for everyone to hear from people at different stages and to hear you sort of being like, I want to learn. I want to take all this knowledge in and I'm going to do it. And I know my value and I have it to offer. And, you know, 2021, I think you said the date was, that is that is a while away, you know, and I'm, yeah. I don't know it's how you can... really quickly though. Oh, yeah, I don't know how you can stay so long. Like I, maybe I'm just it's stupid or impatient or brave but I don't know what it is but I just like I left working for someone else after what was it, after like it's, whew, eight eight months so I literally got a job eight months later I was like forget this I'm never doing this again <laughs> and I walked out which now I think about it I'm like you you literally didn't even work a year mm. for people and you're so like petulant you just have to freaking walk out and never go back and it's I guess everyone's different but you have a lot more patience than me um I think it helps that I actually enjoy what I do yes yeah <laughs> I, I think that is because it's not a huge rush right no exactly and I I 
I recognize the value or, or what I'm learning, like the stuff that I'm learning on a day to day basis. You can't get this kind of exposure if I was to leave the job. Like I'm you know, every day speaking to clients who have the backing of, you know, Goldman Sachs and all these huge investment houses um, and actually dealing directly with all these investment houses, you know, pension funds, all that kind of stuff. So I'm not trying to run away too soon because I, I recognize. Um, the value that I'm, I'm getting from working full time um, in the field that I'm working in but also I think all of the developers that I've spoken to thus far everyone has said before you leave just make sure you've got some kind of steady income coming in so whether that's I revisit looking at getting you know a few rent to rents going just so that I've got that cash flow um, and and then leave or if I look to try you know being an entrepreneur I do have other side hustles as well so maybe if I looked at getting those going a bit more or you know some I think next year is going to be my year to just focus on building my cash flow and getting to the point that I feel comfortable enough to leave so if I can match or you know double what I I essentially want to be at a point where the income that I'm getting either from my property portfolio or my other businesses um, eclipses my you know income that I get from my job Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, look, that, that makes absolute sense. So um, let's skip away from property for a sec. Well, no, still in property, but talk to me about what you do for diversity and inclusion in property. And also that sort of um, phrase is very familiar to me because I work in recruitment. So I'm used to talking about it very openly um, and just kind of working with it and within it. But for anyone who doesn't know what that actually means, what does it mean and what do you do in property with it? So diversity and inclusion, it, I guess it's pretty much, it, it's, it's basically now, I feel, a bit of a buzzword. Um, I can only really speak to the property industry. The property industry at the moment is not very diverse. Um, we are an industry that's populated by, I don't know how to say this, but I'm just going to say it, just older white men. Um, and we know that. And as an industry, we are fully aware. And the RICS, who are the kind of governing body for chartered surveyors, they even recognize it to the point that they've now set up a network to try and improve and drive change within the property industry. And I think it, whatever industry you're in, if you're not diverse and you're not pulling, you know, pulling from a diverse group of employees, you're not getting diversity of thought. You know, you're, you're approaching, you're going to be approaching an issue with the same kind of mindset. When you have a diverse team of people, you know, they can bring different elements and 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 knowledge and expertise to a particular to a particular job. So in the property industry. Um, Every firm now is, you know, trying to ensure that they are going out and hiring from, you know, a diverse group of people. They're trying to, you know, go in even as young as like secondary school to try and educate people on the property industry and and on surveying as a potential career path. Um, And so within my firm, I chair our black, Asian and minority ethnic network, which we call Race for Change. Um, And as chair, I basically engage with our UK board um, and strategize to ensure that we are putting ourselves forward and being you know a a market leader in championing diversity um, and ensuring that we are 
hiring the best talent because I think you know you don't want to just be hiring people for tick box exercises you want to make sure that they actually are good at what they do um and then trying to ensure that you know there is diversity within that um so I do that on a company level but I've also been um uh brought in to sit on the board of diverse city surveyors which is the RICS BAME network so black Asian and minority ethnic network um because of they've seen the work that I've done with race for change they kind of brought me in um as a strategic player to try and do the same on a on a more you know global basis um so that's what I'm doing there and my kind of the work that I have been doing for the past year or so has been recognized last year I was listed in the financial times as um, future ethnic leaders list Damn. I was, um, <laughs> um, and I was invited um, by the then PM to 10 Downing Street last October um, to celebrate my achievements and, and the achievements of other black Britons as well for Black History Month um, wow. so yeah so I'm doing a lot of that kind of thing and doing public speaking and advising and, and doing all of that as well on top of my day job and <laughs> <laughs> no that that's amazing and i think you know what it's you know what you said about the buzzword it definitely has been over the past like few years i mean when i started in recruitment three years ago it was it wasn't really a thing and then a couple of years in it started becoming a thing and actually it was like why hasn't this been a thing from back in the day like no one sort of thought about it and there's always that report by i think it's like mckinsey and co yeah. which says is it diverse teams are 35% more efficient or something than yeah. they're non? Um, I mean, it's obvious anyway, right? To have a diverse team, but you know, what? it's such a, it's such a tricky subject because it's like, yeah, yeah you don't do the tick box exercise mm. just to bring diversity in, but then you need diversity, but then you need the best people. Then it goes, okay, yeah. take a step back. We have to start at university. No, we have to start high yeah. school. We have to start at the pair. It's like, yeah a... the parents are a big thing as well being from an African background I remember when I told my mum I was going to be going to surveying or going to property she's like what the hell is that you know <laughs> no you're going to go and be an engineer a doctor a lawyer <laughs> like all of those kind of traditional routes um, and I think people need to remember that diversity doesn't just mean it's just not it's not just ethnic diversity mm-hmm. um I you know in the property in sort of in the surveying world traditionally Firms have always hired from universities that have done real estate degrees or surveying degrees, but now they're recognizing the um, the value that they can get from hiring people that haven't studied real estate. So that's why firms like JLL are paying for people to do masters so that they can bring in other expertise. So I came in having not done any property related degree, having done languages, um, and in coming in, I think I've used, you know, used my Spanish a few times. I'm now working with a lot of Chinese investors. So having that language background has really helped me. Similarly, I've got friends who've got economic backgrounds or, you know, history and all that kind of stuff. So there you can there are so many transferable skills that you learn from other things. Um, you know, and so when you are hiring diversely or trying to, you can get all those different assets without even realizing it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's it's interesting, you know, the, the, the lack of diversity in sort of the surveying and the bigger firms and the more corporate firms. I think like that's a reflection of society as a whole. If we split mm. the world into startups, a.k.a. Shoreditch, and <laughs> like the, the other half into the city, I think the diversity is as diverse as what they were every day. Like, yeah. it's it is so different from sector to sector so i feel like the younger generation the millennials or whatever the 
startup generation you know I'd, I'd in a million years i've worked for a startup over a corporate like every day of the week and i always have um like, i really want to work for this is complete side note but i really want a job with social chain i don't know what the hell i do there because i'm not i'm not a digital marketer by any means but Stephen Bartlett, if you are listening, I will be <laughs> your leasing agent. I will, you know, I can be your dedicated development agent. I just want to spend time in that office. They have the coolest office and I love his business, um, you know, his ethics and, and just what he's achieved. In Do you follow Stephen by chance? I, you know, I re- I've kind of followed him, but I recently actually pressed follow. So yeah. I've been seeing a lot more of his content. I didn't realise he was behind Social Train, but Social Train is awesome. Um, yeah just you know what it's one of those things it's like gary v man you just gotta tweet or send him like a pigeon or do something crazy and he'll like he'll give you the time of day so, oh yeah yeah no i've i've, I've done all of that <laughs> <laughs> he very much knows my name and knows my face i'm very active <laughs> on all of his oh <laughs> god i'm just gonna see his videos pop up and i see your name underneath i'm like oh I god featured in his one of his very early everyday steves i was Ooh. one of yeah, I, I sent him a question on Snapchat and he um, <laughs> he featured me. So yeah, that's my claim to fame. Oh dear, that's awesome. But you know, it's it's you know it's one of these talks about diversity is something that could just go on forever. And mm. you know, it's like politics. You, you can blame any aspect or system or part of someone's life. And at the end of the day, it's everything. Everything plays into account when it comes to things like these you know um so it's great to see that you are doing all of this and you know someone needs to do it and i think the more people like you do it the more people get inspired to follow to come out the woodworks to then say to their parents actually look you know she's doing it he's doing it you know we're from the same sort of background why can't i do that job you know um but what i what i find though is that like in so let's say if i take facebook for for example right or the listeners of this show there is quite a lot of diversity in the everyday property investor, which yeah. which for me is the startup, is the shortage. Mm. And then everything you're talking about is the corporates where yeah. you, you don't have to do much to see the lack of diversity there. Yeah. So And it very much shows like whenever I go to when I when I go to a client event, networking event, you know, I I enjoy it, but I'm, I don't feel as comfortable as when I go to, you know, your progressive network event or uh, just a regular property investing event because the people, honestly, like, are just so, for the most part, I mean, you get, obviously, people who are going to try and, you know, fob you off or whatever, but for the most part, you get genuine people who genuinely want to help and support you the amount of advice like free advice like people Mm. have given me support like even Ted like um sorry not Ted you are Ted TJ like linking me up to you and you know big up TJ man like that guy honestly (laughs) he's the one of the realest people out there like he's got some good dance moves you know yeah (laughs) I'll I'll see him because we're both kind of in the South London area I'll see him he literally will be in his flip-flops and ripped up jeans graggy hair that haircut he got I swear that's the first haircut he's got in a while (laughs) but like he's just completely just genuine everything you see that he posts that Mm. is him to, to a T and I just love that there are people that, like yourself, like just being absolutely, and that's why I listen to your podcast over some of the other more kind of, I don't know, some of the other property podcasts, because I just feel there's just a, there's a authenticity there. 
um, and you just feel like you're talking to a mate, you know, like <laughs> even though you're talking to yourself and I'm listening, but yeah, um, just yeah, and and honestly, like, and I think that's why I'm I'm nervous to leave the corporate world, but at the same time excited because I know that I've got this network of people that when I do leave, it's not going to be like I'm completely on my own. You know, I've got people that I can turn to and, and get advice from. Trust me, you will not regret it. Like I was speaking to my one of my old bosses, and he was. And basically, he, have you read The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene? No, I haven't. I wouldn't... Anyone listening as well, I, 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 I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It's very... Um, it, it basically says how to be manipulative and how to control other Ooh. people, which is... Uh, look, we all do it. It's all normal. But if you work in a corporate environment full of snakes, full of politics, you mm. need this book. But if you're an entrepreneur with a great network and like you're in these communities... I don't know. For me personally, I just can't listen to it. It Firstly, puts me to sleep. So actually, on aeroplanes, I listen to it to put me to sleep. Secondly, it just it just feels slightly dark, right? But Mm. my old boss was saying, yeah, you know, I've I've been like I kind of have to do this in in certain situations, and I have to be slightly sly here, manipulative here, and and I don't judge him because I know he's an incredible person with a good heart. But the corporate life and positions of power push you into things into plays and i was like look i understand why you do these things but i walk in and i'm like forget this i'm gonna do what the hell i like yeah and it's people like that who just don't sit in a job for a long time because it's not for them yeah and you will naturally or forcefully be pushed out (laughs) eventually because i feel like if you're doing something that's not you it's not going to last it it just does not no matter how no matter how much it pays you know like i've been paid a lot of money before to do jobs i didn't like and i was just like nah yeah i can get all the all the body shop moisturizer i like all the tesco <laughs> finest cheese like i'm good i'm eating well my skin's good yeah but i'm not happy so no you know, not. does it really matter so um we've almost reached the end of the podcast i feel like you and me could talk for ages so we're gonna we're gonna do some videos aren't we at some point yes, soon yes um will. if i ever leave west london um, I, I will come to you i'll <laughs> come to you <laughs> we'll make it work so we're gonna do a quick fire round yeah so short snappy answers um you ready for this yes what are the biggest three mistakes you have made in property so far um not getting enough quotes on like a job like a on a job thing. like cool. yeah getting you know not getting enough quotes i usually get three but sometimes i feel like you you could do with more okay and to that point not retendering <laughs> so not so then going using the same person again instead of actually trying to get more quotes again and make sure that it's a competitive process Okay. Because if people get comfortable knowing that, you know, you're their go-to person, they might then not feel the need to make their prices as competitive, mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the first one. Second one, I mean, it's a mistake, but also a lesson. Mm-hmm. Get rushing in too quickly, like believe in people at their word too quickly. Um, I know, you know, as a human, I try to see the best in people. But I think when you're starting off in property and maybe a little bit naive and you hear that someone's saying they're going to help you, just take time to have a coffee, have two coffees, however many coffees you need to have with them to just suss them out just a little bit um, before you go running off 
finding them deals and thinking they're going to fund you. <laughs> fund you. Uh, and then the third one. Um, I'm whew, not. I think this has been said before, but not starting sooner. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, no, absolutely. You know what they say: don't wait and get property. Get property and, and wait. Yeah. Um, so then, what are your? And this, you know, this might be similar to what you just said, but what are your top three tips for? Actually, no. I was going to say what are your top three tips for new people, but I'm going to change that. I'm going to say what are your top three tips for having a full time job and working in property and like, Ooh, be, being a property is, investor that is a really good one okay <laughs> give me a second to just think about that so wait t- top three tips and and you're you're wanting to get out of the job uh yeah yeah so how to balance it and then obviously eventually get out okay so firstly network like crazy find the time you know make you know Put it in your diary to say, you know, you have to go to one networking meeting, uh, property investors meeting a month um, and make sure you're going and actively following up on the connections that you make. I'd say number two is manage your time accordingly. Like I used to wake up, I'd get into work two hours early. So I'd arrive in the office about 7 a.m., do two hours worth of working on my property stuff and then do a full-time job, and then come home and do another. I mean, Gary Vee talks about this in his book, Crush It. Uh, um, just, you know, finding those small small points of time in your day. Like, even now, my 20-minute commute, I'm on right move. I'm looking for properties and deals and, and, you know, saving them to then contact agents later. So find the pockets of time in your day-to-day that are dead time, you know, and utilize that to build your property business or portfolio. Um, and then the final tip, be patient. Be patient. You will see other people killing it, making it, um, and people are very good at posting all the good stuff on social media. Don't, you know, put those blinkers on. Have your tunnel vision, focus on you, and be patient. Like, I love Gary Vee, just like you, Ted. So, macro patience micro speed (laughs) i like that he says a lot of he says a lot of nuggets and good stuff so yep big up gary v and lastly what are your top three goals for the future they can be personal fitness career anything for the for the whole future not near future anything okay number one leave full-time work and work for myself Mm mm-hmm Number two, um, buy my mum a house. That's nice. I like that. And number three, which is the ultimate goal and the reason why I got into property in the first place, is to build a school and an orphanage in my hometown in Uganda. I love that. Amazing. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, what should they do? They should reach out to me on the various social media platforms. So I am at the Property Hustle. So you'll find uh, me on Facebook. So I've got a Facebook group, which is closed. But if you click that you want to join, you will be accepted in. So the Property Hustle on Facebook, Property Hustle on um, YouTube, and also on Instagram. I'm probably most contactable in terms of, you know, 
DMs on Instagram. So reach reach me on there. Awesome. Faith, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm looking forward to making some videos with you. Thank you, Tesh. Hope you see you soon. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.